Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. That's sounding richer. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 6. We're actually going to verse 17, but you know, like we read here, we read the Bible in context, okay? So we're going to start from verse 1. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Here Paul was writing and was talking to, because in those days they had a culture of slavery where they had slaves who were working for masters. And he says, listen, if you're a child of God, if you're under the yoke as a slave, you have to regard your own master as worthy of honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Many times when you see believers at their workplace, the way they carry out their work makes the name of God to be spoken against. You know, sometimes you employ a Christian to work for you, and it's almost like they are doing you a favor. That's why I don't get it sometimes when you go for all night during the week. And then you go to your place of work and you're sleeping. They should sack you. That's the truth. Because you were not employed to sleep. You were employed to do what? To work. So as a Christian, when you go to your workplace, you must work in such a way that the name and the doctrine of God is not blasphemed. You must put in your best. You must walk in such a way that the name of Jesus is exalted. You don't walk in a way that the name of God is reproached, Paul speaking. There is a biblical perspective we must have to work. Work is not a curse. Work was given to man before man fell. I've taught a two-part series on that biblical perspective to work. So don't go to work feeling like, oh, if Adam have not seen, nobody will be working by now. Just be in the garden, just chopping apple, chopping purple, chopping. No, 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 no way. You would have been tending the garden. Are you following this? So you must have a proper perspective to work. Number two, verse two. Those who have believers as their masters. So the first verse is talking about those who their, their masters are not believers. It says, those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them. So don't think, because I'm working for a Christian, he will understand. Hmm? Sometimes you go, and I've always told you here, you go to your shop to open your shop for business. Pray at home. When you go to the shop, just say, in Jesus' name, this shop is open. Don't do Bible study there in the morning when people need to work. Hmm? You gather, you do praises, 30 minutes. We are here again, we are here again. Father, we are here again. 30 minutes, customers are waiting. Then afterwards, you will do uh, opening prayer. And then after, you will do everything. Do confession, then do charge. Hmm? As the pastor of the shop. You will now do charge. And people are waiting. And you know, some people, nobody dare talk to you then. You will just think they are the enemies. You will now release three more arrows. For interrupting your spiritual time. While it's important to pray at your place of work, you do that quickly and get to serve people. Because the reason you opened that place was to serve people. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, it says, look at this. It says, those who are believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren. Don't disrespect people because they are brethren or because a Christian employed you. You feel, oh, you can do your work. Uh, you know, sometimes some people will work harder for a, for a, a wicked boss than a believing, a believer, a believing boss. And that's not right. It says, but must serve them all the more. Because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Say, this is our brother. So if I'm working for you as a child of God, then I should work more for you because uh, it's my brother that's participating, that's benefiting from this. Next, next line. Teach and preach these principles. So these are principles that ought to be taught. These are principles that ought to be taught to believers. To respect their boss at work. To honor, to work hard. To walk in such a way that the name of Jesus is not blasphemed. When a Christian touches something, there should be difference in it. Praise God. I said praise God. Okay, the next verse. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness... He is conceited, that means proud, haughty, and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and dispute about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. Verse 5, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. Look at this. Who suppose that godliness... Is a means of gain. It says these people, they see godliness as a means of gain. They see godliness as a means of profit. They don't see godliness as a means of becoming like Christ. They see godliness as a source of wealth. And that's something we have to be very careful of in the body of Christ. Because if we, if we sometimes we examine our doctrines... All our doctrines are, are tilting towards wealth. If you do this, God will do this for you. If you do this, oh, you will make more money. In fact, I had a very t- funny teaching many years ago. It was, it was interesting, but it was funny. That, oh, God loves the soul winner. The more you win souls, the more God is going to bless you. The more things will work well for you. Why I don't have a problem with that, I'll ask you a simple question, a simple reason. Why do you think, after hearing such a teaching, you're going to win souls? Why do you think you will go and win souls? Let's be honest. Why do you think you'll go and win souls? Because of the blessing. Is that, will that be the right motive for going out for soul winning? A thousand times, no. What's the right motive for going out for soul winning? Because you have a responsibility and a command from God to get the gospel out to other people. So I ask Christians all the time these two simple questions. If God were not to answer any prayer in your life again, would you still be committed to God? Don't answer. Don't be in a hurry. I know you say yes, but don't answer. Hmm? Because they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Another question I ask Christians all the time. If there was no heaven and hell, would you still be a Christian? Because most people are Christians. Well, most would be too generous with them. But some people are Christians because they watch Man Zion movie and they don't want to go to hell. So if you take out heaven, ooh, <laughs> they'll run out of the church as fast as you took it out. 
And if you say, well, God is not answering prayers anymore, bam, that commitment is down. Because most of the messages you hear is that godliness is a means of gain. So everything is taught in the church with a gain mindset. Hmm? Have you heard, if you come early to church, there are angels that come with early blessings? Have you heard that? Why would a minister say that? Hmm? Do you know that it is normal practice to just be early when you have an appointment? We don't need to say angels carry baskets. So if, if we say angels carry baskets, there people who come early, they distribute baskets. Why are you going to leave your house very early? Come on, let's be honest now. Why are you going to leave your house early? Because you want something from that basket, right? That, do you know that's, that's greed? That's a wrong motive right there? So if you take out all of this gain, you realize that a lot of people are not convinced about the faith. This is good preaching. Yeah? Now look at the next verse. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. It says actually, godliness is great gain. But if godliness is going to be great gain, something has to accompany it. What is that? Contentment. Simple question. I asked in the first service. When last did you hear the word contentment? Think. Just think. When last did you either hear the word contentment come up in a conversation or read about contentment? Okay? You're done thinking. I can see your brain. When last did you hear the word rich? See the smile. Prosperous, more money, investment, hammer, blow. When last did you hear these words? Do you realize that these are common words? Why contentment is not very common? And we need to ponder this. Because if godliness is gained when it comes with contentment, that means the believer has to be taught about contentment. Are you following this? Let's look at something here about contentment. Let's look at two scriptures. Philippians 4. Contentment. Mm. You know, sometimes it looks like a curse word that we don't want to hear. We want more. Ah. Philippians chapter 4, let's read from verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now, if I use the word, I have learned French. It means I was not born speaking French. Am I right? If I say, I've learned how to drive a car, it means I wasn't born driving a car. So, when Paul says, I have learned to be content, it means that contentment was learned. None of us was born content. None of us was born learning how to be content. We have to learn it. A child of God learns contentment deliberately. You have to learn it. Look at the next verse. It says, 
I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In, in, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I've always told you, when you read the scripture, read it in the context of the ability that God gives you to be content in situations. All the world needs to make us not to be content is to add a letter or an alphabet to whatever we have right now. You know, I've got Infinix phone that I'm using X. Next two months, they release Infinix XI. You know, that I becomes a problem. I, one letter. Ah, no, ah, I need the I. And then three months later, Infinix XIS. Even if you have the XI, the S becomes a problem. And you know what? I've used several brands of phone. Okay? The truth of the matter is, sometimes the difference between the X and the XI and is XIS, you really can't tell. And then, after one month, you use only three things in that your phone. Your WhatsApp, the camera, Facebook, message. People don't even text a lot now. And it's finished. But if you see the pressure that, that those two letters give you, I and S, you will not think they were that small. Hmm? Homes have been destroyed from covetousness. Marriages have been destroyed from covetousness. Churches have been destroyed from covetousness for lack of contentment. And I tell you, sometimes when you expose yourself to so many things, you will not be content. That's why deliberately I don't, I don't, I don't go after so many things. Yeah? Spend all your days on Instagram. You can't be content. Read certain things. Hmm? Remember a few, few, few years ago, God is under 40 billionaires. Under 40 millionaires. Then we have this Invictus of a guy. When you read that kind of Forbes and you are 36, you look at your life, look at the newspaper, say, these are human beings. These are human beings. <laughs> you feel bad for yourself. Huh? And then, a few years down the line, FBI releases his name as a top scammer. Hmm? Then you say, ah, thank God. You know, most of the people you're praying to be like, thank God, God doesn't really want to make you to be like them. To be content. Learn it. Learn contentment. Learn a point in your life where you say, you know what, this is okay. This is just enough. I'm fine. Don't Take your self-esteem from what you have. Let's read something again about contentment. Go with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews 13 verse 5. Hmm? <laughs> ah, when you see some things and then sleep will leave your eyes. Contentment. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. 
Make sure. You have to ensure. You have to make sure that your character is free from the love of money. You, you have to. You, you ensure. I, I need to be free from the love of money. Make sure. God is not going to do this for you. You have to do it. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Today, our message is filled with the love of money. Homes filled with the love of money. Huh? They release LED. Add a little software to it. Say it's LCD. You got a flat TV. They'll make it curve. Just push it back a little bit. And your flat screen is now a problem to you. Hmm? You know, after a while, three years down the line, they'll push that curve, push it to the front again. They say, this one comes from the front. What you have. You see, everything you have right now that you even bought and you're going to buy next year will become old. You have to tell yourself, you know what? I don't care how you guys do this TV. If it is LED, LCD, DCL, DDL, MLL, I'm using this, my TV, for 10 years before I'll change it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If not, you'll never be satisfied. You have to make sure. Because all our conversation is with the love of money. Sometimes even in churches, all our messages is about how to get more, how to get more, how to get more, how to get more. And we don't talk about godliness. We don't talk about Christ-likeness. Simple things that a believer should have. Patience, gentleness, kindness, love, mercy. We can't find these things anymore because we think that godliness is a means of great gain. And so sometimes we rate the goodness of God by how much material things we have. And you know, I don't believe in poverty. But at the same time, money is never God where I'm concerned. Are you following this? You know, I had to, I had to warn a friend of mine. I said, it's time we begin to have decent conversations. Because every time we're talking, you're always trying to sell something to me. You're either wanting to make me to join something, or you're trying to sell something to me. I'm like, can we just have a decent conversation? Just ask, how are you? How's everything? And let's close for the day. Not everybody is trying to make some more. There are things that are pressing our hearts more than this. And I'm not saying teaching you a lack of ambition, but I'm telling you, listen, we've got to allow the scriptures speak to us what are Apostolic perspective is concerned where money is concerned, not society. Praise God. You know, like Paul said in that place, learning to be content. I experienced it in my last travel. I went to preach in one of our churches in the village. You know, and then this church said they were getting ready for me. I mean, they, they, it's been a while they saw me. So they gave me a hotel. Guess how much it was hotel for a night? 2,500. It was the best hotel around. <laughs> You know, when I was going this, I wanted to ask that, do they have hot water? And something in me said, listen, there are questions you should not ask. Because if you ask them, do they have water? They will just point where firewood is to you. I say, that's, that's fire, that's wood, that's kettle, that's water. Sort yourself out. And then from there, I moved to a city. And I preached in the city. But it doesn't mean that at that time I was in a village. My joy was less than it was in the city. 
That's what contentment is. The presence of and the absence of doesn't determine your joy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Christ must be the eternal source because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes you ask yourself, what's actually the source of my joy? Because look at someone like Job. In one day, he lost all his business. In one day, he lost his family. In one day, he lost everything. Yet he said, I know my Redeemer liveth. In fact, his wife came and signed the form to be a voluntary widow, cause God and die. The easiest way out. But Job said, no. I know my Redeemer lives. Imagine if all those news were brought to you in one day. I mean, you won't come to church anymore. He asked, why were you not in church? Say, the pastor not here. <laughs> huh? <laughs> you won't listen to any counseling anymore. Say, if he's God, if he's God. Because we're not trained that the fact that you're a Christian doesn't mean that problems will not come. But we approach them differently. Are you still here? We're talking about contentment. There's no end to the things the world wants to push to you. There's no end. You know, one fashion statement, all the clothes in your wardrobe are old. Just one fashion. All they just need to do is give it one name. Hmm? And everything you have is old. That chase, that race never ends. You have to tell yourself, it's okay, it's okay. This thing, I'm not pursuing it for that. It's alright, it's okay. Because that's the framework that a believer sees finances. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you still here? Go back to First Timothy. Chapter 6. It says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world. So we cannot take anything out of it either. You see, these statements, let's not just read them. And, oh yes, I know it's true. No, let it become part of our subconscious. Let it become part of how we make our decisions. The Bible says, you brought nothing out of this world. You will take nothing out of it. If your family like, when you die, let them bury you in a golden casket. You know what's going to happen? Our brothers, not brothers in the faith now. <laughs> you know, Peter says, I'm writing to those of like precious faith. These are not our brothers in the faith. Our brothers will come at night eh, and dig your body out and carry the gold casket and leave you in understand. You know, it's Christians that are afraid of evil spirits. Those people are not afraid of spirits. They will steal from spirits. <laughs> it's only we that go to church that are afraid of evil spirits. Eh? They will steal from the spirits. And the spirit will not pursue them because the spirits know they are not afraid. That's why when you hear all those things that somebody, somebody died and went to hell and saw somebody with human hair and saw somebody with wig, they are tired people. They are people who were hungry and tired before they died. The scripture already told us that you can't take anything out of this world. So those visions, listen to me, are false from every standard. No vision overrides the written word. So you can't carry helmets. Uh, is it helmets now? What's that? Wig. <laughs> you can't carry wig to, to hell. You can't carry jeans and trousers to hell. When people are tired and they die out of hunger, they see all kinds of visions. And they say, then they now say, God brought them back to warn us. 
If the scriptures cannot warn us, let them keep the warning to themselves. Because it overrides the written word. The word of God says you can't take anything out of this world. So, you, you've got to, that has to come into your philosophy. You know what? All these things I'm gathering, when I'm out of here, I'm not taking anything. That will form the basis of your accumulation. Are, are you hearing this now? These are very important. As a Christian, this is how you approach life. You're not approaching life from the perspective of someone who is uninformed where this is concerned. Go to verse 8. If we have food and covering... With these, we shall be content. That means, listen, we can be content with the basic requirements of life. So, it tells us, first of all, that contentment is an eternal virtue. Is an eternal virtue. Let me read verse 6 from the Amplified. It says, and 1 Timothy 6, 6, Amplified. And it is, indeed, a source of immense profit. For godliness accompanied with contentment, that contentment which is a sense of inward sufficiency is great and abundant grain. Inward sufficiency. Inward sufficiency. It, it has to be from the inside. It has to come from the inside. Because you would always feel, you would always feel, this is not enough. I want some more. I want some more. Now let's go back to where we are. Verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. This apostolic instruction. This apostolic instruction. For, but those who want to get rich fall into number one, temptation. And number two, a snare. The word snare is a trap. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. It says that incessant longing to be rich. That desire to be rich. One of the reasons why we began to have all kinds of funny interpretations to scriptures was the longing to prove to people that our God is not a poor God. You don't need to prove it. Stay with the fidelity of scriptures. Stay with the fidelity of scriptures. And you see all kinds of interpretations. Huh? One of the things that breeded this die by fire prayer movement, all the things, is still this thing about gain. Because we feel that there are people who are responsible for us not being able to make progress in life, not being able to gain more in life. And when we talk about progress in life, ultimately, if you look at that, it is about having more money. Am I right? I'm not right anymore. I'm right. And so we have to fashion prayers to kill those people quickly so we can get into our, our throne quickly. Everything motivated. These things are subtle, but it's deep down there, deep down in our roots. Deep down in our roots. Look at this. If you want to get rich, you will fall into temptation and a snare. Many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Let's read three scriptures on this. Proverbs 15, 27. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 27. Look at this. And, and we're not talking about, you know God is not against you prospering. God is giving you guidelines. Am I right? These are guidelines. Look at this. Amplified version. 
He who is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. But he who hates bribes will leave. Trouble your own household. Greedy for unjust gain. The longing for money, part of the temptation you would face is being greedy for unjust gain. You, you try to gain where there's no gain. That's why people will sell fake products. You know that this medicine is fake. It can kill someone, but yet you sell it. Huh? Somebody asks you to wire his house. You go and buy fake wire that can cause fire incidents. You know this wire will expire. Bam! Quick money. Hmm? And they come and share some very funny testimonies. And God forbid tomorrow that house catches fire. Nothing touches your conscience. We never knew would come to a time and a season in our lives where people would use their own family members to make money. Those things don't just come. They are results of our desires. Hmm? You know, we had a time in this country when MMM collapsed. And you thought that people would learn. They don't learn. More have collapsed since then. Because the, the, the covetous software is installed. Until you uninstall it, once you see any opportunity like that, it kicks into action. Unfortunately, some people even were teaching MMM during Sunday school that they want to help believers. We, we, we want to empower men. <laughs> you are not sent to empower people to be rich. Preach the gospel. The wisdom of God in the gospel will teach people what to do with their lives. Stay with the fidelity of the scriptures. Hmm? That thing in us that wants more, unjust, quick money. Because we don't talk about patience anymore. We don't, we don't engage patience anymore. We serve a sharp, sharp God. You understand that? The God who does things sharply. Chapter what, verse what? Just misinterpretation of scriptures. The sharp thing God did for Joseph took about 20 years. That's how sharp he was. Hmm? You don't like this, do you? 24-hour miracle. Joseph slept one night as a prisoner and woke up as a prime minister. Some of you will sleep this night as prisoners and wake up tomorrow as a prime minister. It's been 10 years. You're not the local government chairman. Because Joseph did not just sleep as a prisoner and woke up as a prime minister. That thing has been with him since childhood. That was his destiny. That was his calling. That was his word. That was his assignment. If we teach people the Bible the way the Bible is, we will breed a new generation of Christians. Who will be comfortable to say, you know what? This is this guy's calling. He's functioning in his assignment. I bless God for his life, but I'm fine where I am, doing what God has asked me to do. Are you still here? He who is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own soul. Let's read another scripture. Um, Proverbs 23, 4-5. Proverbs 23, 4-5. Weary not yourself to be rich. Cease from your own human wisdom. We, don't weary yourself. Don't kill yourself trying to be rich. Don't endanger yourself trying to be rich. Will you set your eyes upon wealth? 
when suddenly it is gone. For riches certainly make themselves wings, like an eagle that flies towards the heaven. It says, this money is uncertain. It's uncertain. Don't, don't weary yourself trying to get this uncertain money. Of course, you know, we're not teaching that you should not invest. We're not teaching that you should not plan. I hope you understand what I'm saying. We're having a proper holistic perspective towards this money conversation. It says, don't worry yourself. Huh? Human wisdom, calculation, cheating on people, defrauding people. Hmm? We call it sharpness. We call it street smartness. And all it is, is just trying to get money in unjust ways. Proverbs 28, 20. Proverbs 28 verse 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he will make haste to be rich at any cost. To be rich at any cost shall not go unpunished. You know, one of the things that uh, is destroying our nation is this whole thing about money. Because we've raised a society where money is respected. You know, if you studied, I did social studies in my first, my first degree. If you, if you look at Nigeria, if you study the history of Nigeria, when Nigeria gained independence about the 60s to the 70s thereabout, the economy was coming up well. We had the granite pyramids in Kano, we had the cocoa farms in the, in the west, okay? And we had all of these agricultural things coming up, Nigerian airways, brilliant, starting up, you know, palm, palm oil and all of that going up well. Uh, Naira was strong against the pound and against the dollars. It wasn't a big deal if you wanted to travel abroad. One of the major problems we had in this nation was when oil was discovered. Boom! It was like, guys, say, wow! One man can have all this money and that became our problems. Sometimes some people's life are okay until they hit money. Huh? My husband is very humble. At what level? Because there's, there's a humility that lack of resources brings upon you. It's, it's forced because you don't have option. Eh? But hit him with some alert. There is that hearing. Do you know who I am? When I picked you from your mother's, his English becomes better. And you need to watch that. Because a believer must remain the same in abundance. And lack of abundance. Because the patience that is in the life of a believer is not money directed. The love, the self-control in the believer's life is not money directed. Come on, are you still here? Alright. Let's go back now to, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's continue reading. We're actually going to verse 17. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. If wealth is not handled properly, when you now have money and you can hang out, you will now despise your family for hanging out. The very thing that God has designed to be the bedrock of society. There are some of the temptations, there are some of the desires that will come. Look at this, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. The love of money. The love of money. A child of God has no business loving money. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have no business. We love God. 
We don't love money. We don't share the love we have for God with money. Matthew 6, 24 says, You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Because you're going to hate one and despise the other. We can't share the love we have for God with money. This thing to prove to the world that we are not poor people, we need to stop it. It is driving the church out of course. It's driving us out of our apostolic foundations. And I tell you, God has a hundred ways to get resources to us if we only trust Him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You, we can see people who are unsaved and go into hell and we don't care to preach to them if we can only do business with them and get money from them. We don't care about their soul. In fact, they will cancel you when you go. Don't, don't say you are a Christian. That contract might... Don't, don't, don't show them anything about God. Be wise. Be wise. Wisdom means, to us now, wisdom means people can die unsaved as long as we get a contract. What wisdom is that? That's a lot of money right there. Brothers against brothers. Huh? Homes scattered. You know your husband's level of income. But all your friends are the ones operating at a higher level. You will not bring pressure on the home. Same thing with men. You know how much you earn. You want to run with big boys. So there's no food at home. Your children's school fees are not paid. But you go where they are buying drink for 30000 which is your child's school fees. But you don't want to embarrass yourself. A man must be a man. Whether he's foolish or not, he, he must be a man. Love of money. Love of money. And Christians should not be that way. A Christian should be content. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A Christian should be content. Contentment is Christian word. The Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, look at this, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. You know, to wander means to walk without a deliberate direction. You are just walking, walking, walking. Before you know, you don't know where you started from. Wandered from the faith because of the love of money. Just walked away from the faith. People who used to say, let's pray together, don't have time for prayer anymore. Don't have time for the word anymore. Because money is giving them an assignment. You know, I, I mean... You know me, you know, you know me in this church. The Lord has blessed us. We believe in prosperity. We believe in, if we didn't believe in prosperity, you would not be here. So we believe in it. But you know, some testimonies I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to people sharing testimonies like, you know what? I'm supposed to get 100,000 in this job and this job said they're going to pay me 25,000. But you know, the Lord told me to go to this one of 25,000 because he has an assignment for me there. How many of you think that would be a good testimony? You don't even think so. <laughs> huh? Because in your mind, every time God promotes you, the money must increase. Promotion in God's kingdom is how swift you are able to obey God, knowing that He is your source. 
You know, we, get, we, don't even, we don't even pray about that anymore. You just have two jobs. Huh? He said, which one? See, that one. That one is paying more. He said, oh, so what are you praying about? So, so what are you praying about? He said, we want to pray to know God. He said, no, 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 no. You know how much testimony Daniel would have shared? Praise the Lord. They just took all of us from Babylon as, as slaves. And I was the only one chosen to eat the king's food. And the pastor would say, you don't know what grace you are under. There's a strong grace in this house to make you eat king's food in exile. Or, you know, the guy walked up and says, I will not partake of this. I, he proposed in his heart. Because the identity of Daniel was not in the food he ate. The identity of Daniel was in his worship to God. So when the time came for him to compromise his faith, the guy opened his window. Come on. And did what? And kept his prayer life going on. But remember at his workplace, they said they could find nothing wrong with him. First, First Timothy 6.1, where we're reading. He worked perfectly, but he kept his faith. And when that thing was about to be snapped from him, he did not say, ah, we have to protect this job. He didn't try to protect the job because he didn't get there by human wisdom. He stayed true to his God. And when he was thrown in the lion's den, God showed up for him. How many times do we want God to show up for us, but we don't want to obey him right from the start? Contentment. Contentment to say, listen, I'll stay with my vegetables even though there's a king's food. I'm fine. And you will begin to see the miracles of God in your life like you've never seen before. There are certain miracles you will not... And I'm not just talking about miracles of financial provision. I'm talking about real solid <laughs> miracles from God that you will never encounter in your life if you do not learn to put your trust in God. Look at this. Next verse. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Sort of evil. Some, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. I say this all the time jokingly. That you know, just print a program and say, you know, the title of this meeting is maybe Pursuing Righteousness or Pursuing Perseverance. And see how many people will show up. Hmm? Look at the themes of our meeting over the years. Do you see how it began to change? Come on, we're all Christians here. Do we have an unbeliever here? <laughs> we're all Christians. Have you observed how the themes of our meeting began to change? Hmm? From redemption, justification, predestination, faith, love, Christ. Come on, what are the themes of the meetings we have right now? Come on, everybody help me. Give me an idea. <laughs> huh? You won't go home today. Do you want to go home? Share something. Hmm? Open heaven. Unlimited supply. Double portion. Double harvest. Triple doors. <laughs> and when we talk about harvest, let me, let me, let me put this on. If I mention the word harvest, what comes to your mind quickly? When I say harvest, this is our year of harvest. What comes to your mind? Nothing comes to your mind? Financial harvest? That's number one on the list, I know that. Open doors? Do you ever think that if I say this is our year of harvest, it might look like I'm talking about this is our year of getting more souls for the kingdom? Hey! Oh, okay. You just remembered that there's something called souls. And every time harvest 
is used most times by Jesus. He was referring to souls that need to be won. You see how unconsciously our vocabulary has been tainted by the love of money. So every time we open the word, what we see is money. You know, I was talking to a pastor a few, a few months ago, and he was shocked. It was basic, but he was shocked. He was asking me about first fruits offerings, right? I'm not saying don't give your first fruits. We, we receive first fruits. We will gladly receive it. But I told him a very simple thing. There is nowhere in the New Testament where first fruits refer to money. Every time the word first fruits was used, it referred to the Holy Spirit, to those who got, got born again first, or referred to Jesus. And it was like, eh, check it. You go do the research. From Matthew to, Re- to, Je- to Revelation. Every time that word first fruit was used. Never had anything to do with money. Had to do with those who received the Holy Spirit first. Those who got born again first. Or Jesus as our first fruits. Just that simple thing. But every time we hear first fruit. Money comes. And why do we give our first fruit? Because we want more. Just, just the whole motivation. You've got to deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, it will make your service of God bodysome. Because you'll be keeping tax with God. I gave first fruit. What have you done? <laughs> I gave tithes. In Akai, the booklet. Lord, see it. If you can't read. I paid in January. I paid in March. I paid in April. You have no balance account. So, since you have not supplied, I will hold March, April, May to balance the account so me and you will meet in August. Eh? More, 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 more. You, uh, let me tell you this, right? You don't even know what God is doing for you that you have no idea because they didn't happen. You only share the testimony of the things that happened and God delivered you from you don't know the things God delivered you from. You don't have a clue they were designed to happen. So you see, this transactional relationship with God, we've got to stop it. It's the love of money. That's what brings evil into Christianity. That's why we can stand in a nation that is as corrupt as ours and give a governor the platform to preach to, to his brothers in the faith. Even though we knew the election was rigged. Why? We have to roof the auditorium. Are you still here? We honor the governor of the state for the authority God has placed upon him for the fact that he's a governor. But you know, sometimes when governors walk into our churches, they should just sit and hear the word. They don't have to take first reading or second reading. The governor is no more righteous before God than a believer who has been faithful and consistent 10 years, 11 years, and he has never seen the mic. Forgiving him to say something because he's the governor of the state, perfect. But not as a believer. Who is a believer? Why do we keep changing the standards of God because of gain? This brings evil. And the scripture says we've got to flee it. We run away from it. You know, sometimes it's amazing how when you just teach the truth of God's word, people are like, ah, it's been long ahead, this kind of truth. This should not be a revelation. It should be the basics of Christianity. Gehazi ran after the offerings of Naaman and collected his leprosy. Be careful what you run after. Hmm? 
The Bible says, the judges among you must not receive bribes, if not they will pervert justice. That's what we found in our society today. Bribes are received, justice is perverted. A case that is so clear that even a child can decide. Judges who spend 10 years, 20 years, cannot decide it. Hmm? At our own little level, let's watch it. What little bribes are we collecting that is perverting justice in our office? That is perverting justice amongst your friends? That's perverting justice where justice should be served? Let's read on. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. Thank you, Lord. And of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. That you keep the com- commandments without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 16. Who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. Whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor, eternal dominion. Amen. 17. Instruct charge those who are rich in this present world. Do you know why he uses the word present world? Because he had told us before that we brought nothing out of this world and we will take nothing out of it. So when he defines riches he gives the boundary to the riches. That these riches you have is only in which world? This present world. Because a man can be rich in this present world and is not rich towards God. Do we agree on that? You can be rich in this present world and you're not rich towards God. You know, some of the things we think will impress God will not impress God. Will not impress God. It's like I told you when I was talking about giving. That those rich people went and gave a lot. And this widow went and gave her might. And Jesus says, this widow had gone home justified. Imagine if we had to give giving awards in church. Come and tell me, who do you think we're going to give the award to? The rich guys. I mean, come on now. I mean, be honest. If you think I'm going to give an award, somebody walks up here and gives two million, and you come here and give 500 naira, who do you think I'll give an award? 500 naira. I'm not Jesus now. <laughs> I'll give the two million. Come on, what are you saying? <laughs> Huh? Different prayer. You are right. You, are, you have received such prayers before. Hmm? Different prayer. So all of you that give 500, come this way. Stay on my right. Say, bless you, bless you. God is with you for God. Say, man of God, come. Kneel down. <laughs> Raise your hand. Say, give me a bigger mic. I pray from my soul. <laughs> and then they are quick to quote, quick to quote, quick to quote. Isaac asked for venison. So he can bless Jacob from his soul. Are you transferring your birthright? Are you transferring inheritance? That's covenant being transferred there. That's covenant being transferred there. Now, if you say that, it means the poor people never have a chance of getting anything from you. Don't always come to the house of God and create a distinction, either in your message or your approach or your prayers, between the rich and the poor. If there is a place the rich and the poor must feel equal, it's in the house of God. Okay. I'll repeat it again. If there is any place 
where the poor and the rich must feel like brothers and sisters, must feel equal, it must be in the house of God. People shouldn't walk out of the church and feel unequal in the streets, feel unequal at their job, feel unequal at their family meetings, and come inside the house of God and still feel unequal. It's the same blood that was shed for the rich. It's the same blood that was shed for the poor. When we come into the house of God, the blood of Jesus makes us equal and makes us brothers and sisters in the faith. That is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just happening in our days. James said it. He said, when a rich brother comes, will you not look for a seat? And say, hey, sit here. Come on, come on, sit here. And a poor man comes and sit at my feet. They sit down there. Say, where can I sit? I say, find seats. But this, this is all because of the love of money. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. The word conceited means high-minded. Or to fix their hope on uncertainty of riches, but on God. Keep your hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. First Timothy 4.10, it says, fix, let's read it. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, just a few pages back. Verse 10, it says, For it is, it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men. Glory to God, especially our believers. We fix our hope on God. Our hope is not in money. Fix our hope in God. It says, instruct those who are rich in this present world. Not to be high-minded. Let me read it from the, the Amplified Version. Oh, thank you, Lord. Verse 17. As for the rich in this world, charge them not to be proud. Huh? Charge them not to be proud. So, money shouldn't make a believer proud. Hmm? Money shouldn't make a believer proud. You know, sometimes, I've stopped watching some of those comedies. Some of these things we think as comedies, sometimes they have a way of actually misinterpreting scriptures. Have you watched those comedies and say, this is how a poor man prays. For my praise, he prays with fire. And the rich man just prays. Oh, Father, thank you. Hmm? And in our mind, we are desiring the day will come where we will not pray fervently. We just pray, Father, thank you. Fervency in prayer is not because of riches or wealth. Fervency in prayer, if we want to bet some things in the spirit, we have to pray fervently. Elijah didn't pray fervently because he was poor. The scripture says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes much power available. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we've developed this theology that, you know, if you can't go, let your money go for you. So we have a whole set of believers who've never won souls in their life. Because they feel it's just about pushing the money. You should do that. You should give. But you should be actively involved in the gospel. You should be actively involved in sharing the gospel. So he says this. Not to be proud or arrogant or contemptuous of others. Proverbs says the rich man answers roughly. If a Christian is speaking boldly, it should not be because of some alert in his bank account. It should be because there's confidence in God. Fix your hope in God. The Christian rich man is the man who's got his hope fixed on God. He's not attempting to change that. Nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God. Riches are uncertain. Riches can, can swap hands just at a twinkle of an eye. Look at what it says. 
who richly and ceaselessly provide us with everything for enjoyment. And if you look at it, no matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, it's because of the grace and the mercy of God and the breath of God in you that's making you to get that wealth. You always be conscious of that. Huh? Let's say, for instance, you're working at a company, working, you know, and both of your eyes, you don't see anymore. You think you can still walk? <laughs> you never thought of it, right? <laughs> but you think, you know you can't walk anymore, right? Or, you know, I mean, God is not wicked, right? But you know, something, it's just, you know, sometimes I think about this and I love, like, you know what people, when they say even give to God, people are calculating, ah, this is my tithe, I will not give no more. Yeah, you, know, you know, sometimes, eh, if God, and that's why, you know, people always say this, that thank God human beings are not God, you know, because I'm just thinking, <laughs> I'm just thinking, it's not a good thought, but I'll say it. You know, just thinking like if I'm God and, you know, people are just stubborn, they don't want to serve me. I just touch something in their brain. They'll just forget everything. Do you understand? Just forget everything. Go to work the next day. They say, do your work. You don't remember what you have to do. You know, if you don't remember for one week, they'll drop you, right? Remember, they'll just forget all where your investments are. I say, oh, you have an investment with us. It's what tell me. I say, no, I can't remember. <laughs> then by the time you remember... Everything is God. Uh, you, the way you will worship God. But you know, God doesn't want us to worship Him like that. God wants us to worship Him because we choose to. That's why I told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. It says, remember it's the Lord your God who gives you power to get wealth. It says, so that when you have prospered, you will not say, it's the might of my hand. You see how many people prosper and they start teaching principles upon principles upon principles upon principles when some of them don't have a clue that it was the mercy and the grace and the favor and the position of the Lord that make them rich. Sometimes when people come and ask you and say, how did you get to where you are? Just lift your hands and say, you know what? It's the grace of God. You know, and I know how people are. They say, and eh, we know it is grace, but there is a secret. <laughs> then you will not start trying to form secrets. You know, work very hard. Is the, the person who is pushing tomatoes from the ending of the market to the, to the, to the other, is he not working hard? Say, be focused. Is the man not focused? Somebody rolls tomatoes from the beginning of the market to where your car is. And missed all the traffic. The tomatoes is intact. You say that man is not focused. <laughs> who has greater focus than that man? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes Christians and children of God, sometimes we just have to say, you know what? This is the grace of God. And this is the mercy of God. We don't have to always try to provide an explanation for the prosperity in our life. Because sometimes His prosperity is a product of His grace and His mercy. Can you say thank you, Jesus? Alright. So, number 18, verse 18. Charge them to do good. Let them do good. To be rich in good works. To be liberal and generous of heart. That means, instead of your heart trying to accumulate more, develop a generous heart. Ready to share with others. Now listen to this. Listen, listen to this now. In this way, laying up for themselves the riches that endure forever. As a good foundation for the future. So that they may grasp that which is life indeed. The Bible says life indeed is the life of liberality. And you know why? Because as a human being, all you want to do is just get and grab. The Lord says no. Develop a heart that is liberal. And how can you come to that place where you start giving? 
it's when you are also content. Because every time you have that money in your hand, something tells you this is not enough. You can't give from this. This is not enough. You, ah, no, 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 you can't give. It's not enough yet. Hmm? Some of you following us in our weekly service, you see what we are studying with the Macedonian Christians. Out of their deep poverty, they were begging Paul to do what? To take. So generosity starts from the heart, not from your bank accounts. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Generosity starts from where? From the heart. As we distribute, as we give, the Bible says we are laying up a rich foundation for the future. Now, I want you to understand this. This is not saying give to the poor so you will get. Again, that is now love of money affecting this. Because a lot of people want to do for the poor so God will bless them. If you help the poor, will God bless you? Yes, that shouldn't be your motivation. Your motivation should be in obeying God. That's why today, we can hardly do good without carrying cameras around. Hmm? Because those who want to help the poor, say, line up, line up. So it's not. It's not. <laughs> and I start. I say, oh, God, we bless you for helping the poor. Oh, God, we bless you. You are a true man of God. Really? Jesus Christ says, when you do your good, do it in secret. Do you know how many people are doing good and they are not putting it on social media? Because we want the world to celebrate us. Do you understand this thing? We want to, the world to celebrate us. We want the world to celebrate us. Listen to me and listen carefully. For the believer, your motive counts. The reason you're doing what you're doing counts. And the Bible says, if you're doing it so that all men will see you, he says, you've received your reward already. Do you realize we read it on Wednesday, Jesus helped the poor a lot? Oh, you didn't know. Most people don't know Jesus helped the poor. You know why? Because it was not recorded. But John tells us that when Judas stood up on the last day of the feast, that they thought he had either sent Judas to buy something or to give to the poor. So Jesus had a consistent giving ministry to the poor, but it wasn't recorded. There are things you should do in your life that only God sees. And you keep quiet about it. You're laying up for yourself a rich foundation. And like I said, this is not a message for somebody who has millions in his account. Every one of us, we can develop this heart of generosity. He says, charge them. Preach this thing to them. Instruct them. Caution them. Warn them. And that's what I'm doing to you today. Here's God's word. Life is not about accumulation. From the little you have, develop a heart of generosity. Be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. Don't be like that man who says, I will break my bond. I will expand. I will do this. I will do this. I will build my bond. Then I will say to my soul, relax. Retire. And drink wine. And enjoy. And the Lord said, He said to him, you fool, tonight, the soul will be required of you. Let me see how you will cause those plans to come to pass without your soul. Saints of God, we must have a heart that is liberal, that is generous. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your grace will abide with us, that you would instruct us where this is concerned. We ask, O oh God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will speak to our hearts. And Lord, you will just teach us how to handle resources and wealth. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.
just, have, just still remain sitting. We're going to do our baby dedication very shortly. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.